Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. With a new podcast every day of the Premier League season, this is Football Social Daily. After 14 years, Mike Ashley may well be set to pack his bags and leave Newcastle United forever. Huge news on Tyneside yesterday as the Saudi Arabian-backed takeover of the tune kicked into gear and we may now be a matter of hours away from a changing of the guard at St. James's Park. Ashley will get his 300 million, the fans will get their club back and the Saudi Arabians get to own a Premier League team. Even the Premier League themselves are happy with the Saudis' commitment to put an end to piracy, but not everything is as glossy as it seems on the surface. We'll tackle today's top story on Football Social Daily, as well as looking at the conundrum surrounding several top flight teams. How do we convince our players to get fully vaccinated? There's still a number of Premier League stars who haven't been inoculated against COVID-19. We discuss what we think are some of the overarching reasons behind those choices. All that to come here on the only daily Premier League podcast out there. I'm Niall McCorn and alongside me to do it we have, full of a cold but good nonetheless, Callum Tyler. How are you doing Callum? I'm good. I'm hoping this uh, brings a bit more gravitas to my voice. Today. Yes. I mean, if the Scottish <laughs> tones weren't enough, we've now got an added, you know, kind of bass level to your voice. So yeah. I'm sure people will be flocking to the podcast in their numbers <laughs> to turn away those uh, those emails. <laughs> um, Callum is about to become a fan of the second richest Premier League club and he supports Manchester City. And that tells us a lot in just one sentence. Also with us today, Marley Anderson, a Newcastle United fan. Good morning, Marley. Morning. How are we doing? Very chipper today, Marley. <laughs> a little bit, yeah, a little bit uh, happier than I was yesterday when I was talking on the podcast about how the when will this ever end? Um, yeah, big breakthrough yesterday. So slightly more optimistic about the future now. We've been doing this pod now for two and a quarter seasons. We were mid-recording the show a couple of years back when Rafa Benitez left the club and you could hear a penny drop in the studio on that day. Now here we are. Ashley might finally be on his way out. Yeah. Finally. Um, what is it, 14 years, you said? I mean, we've probably been not competitive and not even trying to be competitive for, for at least 10 years of that. I mean, he did back it at first. 
Um, and then he realised how hard it was to make money in football and how much of a bad investment it is if you want to make loads of money. So, yeah, 10 years of, of just sort of treading water, going you know going back down to the championship, um, getting lucky twice to come back up with it, really. Um, lucky not in terms of being good enough, lucky in terms of the players that stayed and the manager that stayed uh, each time. So, yeah, finally um, it's over and there can be a clear plan for the future, which in... You know, I'm obviously very, very happy about. Let's get stuck into it then. And I think we should rewind and set the scene really from an appropriate starting point for this whole takeover story. Mike Ashley, if you aren't already aware, he's a British businessman. He's a billionaire and he made his fortune in retail. And as Marley says, 14 years ago in 2007, he took control of Newcastle United. And in the decade up till now, it's worth mentioning that Newcastle had been competitive in both the Premier League and the cup competitions. But in the years following Ashley's ownership, the club had been relegated to the championship not just once but twice after bouncing back in between now Newcastle going down isn't something that really should ever happen but aside from that it's it's leveled at Ashley that his negligence in terms of spending and keeping the team competitive is the reason as to why they were relegated to the second tier and since then Newcastle have been back in the Premier League of course they're there now but they've never really achieved anything they've just kind of stayed where they are bottom half of the table worrying about relegation every season and those fears were lessened slightly when Rafa Benitez was in charge but probably accentuated further now that Steve Bruce is at the helm and the fans have wanted Ashley to sell the club for a number of years Marley's mentioned it so many times on Football Social Daily in the past and in all fairness to Ashley himself he has had the club on the market for a number of years now as well but it's the asking price that he wanted of £350 million which was just a bit too steep for many there was a few parties here and there that were interested but nothing was ever concrete that was until last year 2020 when the public investment fund of Saudi Arabia put their financial backing behind a consortium which involved some UK business people, the Rubin brothers who are siblings from the local area and a woman called Amanda Staveley who's the face of this takeover deal. And Ashley was set to sell Newcastle to that consortium last summer but the deal was rejected by the Premier League due to concerns over the owners and directors test which the prospective buyers aka the Saudi Arabians failed. That was due to issues of piracy involving the illegal streaming of Premier League games in Saudi Arabia but a resolution's been found now so be in sports who are based out of Qatar they hold the rights to show Premier League games in the Middle East and the Saudis were basically just live streaming the pictures for themselves when really they shouldn't have been and that put a spanner in the works the deal was off but now as I say they've come to an agreement so the deal is back on and approval from the Premier League could possibly come in the next few hours. The Public Investment Fund of Saudi Arabia is set to provide 80% of the funds for the takeover deal which will be worth £300 million. The owners and directors test needs to be passed still. It looks like that has been the case because the consortium have been able to prove that Saudi Arabia the state are not directly going to be controlling Newcastle United Football Club. Now, the reason that that would be an issue is because there are some human rights concerns over Saudi Arabia as a nation in the not-too-distant past. But is it fair for fans who've supported Newcastle United their whole lives to take a stand against these sorts of things when it comes to new ownership? That's a, a whole new can of worms that we won't get into. But big news, Marley, as we say, huge news in terms of the cloud that's been over the club since... Mike Ashley has been in charge. What's your reaction as a supporter? I mean, obviously it's positive. You can hear it in your voice. Is it 
now feeling like this is the end because we've had a couple of false starts over the years. Uh, yeah, it's uh, this is the one where you know you know like in the past I've come on and said you know I'll believe this when I see it. Um, this time it it is done. Um, everybody is anybody is reporting that it's done. Um, the announcement is said to come later today. It might even be be out and and in the open by the time that you listen to this podcast, depending on where you where you listen to it around the world and what time you listen to it. Um, so it's um, yeah, it is the end. And you know, if you talk to me about the end, you know, yesterday I'd be thinking the end of what, like. You know it's going to drag on for ages, but they finally got this this stumbling block dealt with. Apparently, um, with the uh, with the TV rights being illegally streamed in Saudi from uh, Qatari-based BN Sports, um, that was always pretty obvious that 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 needed to stop. Um, I mean, for God's sake, they called the company Be Out. Be out Q, they were calling it the Saudi like there's illegally streaming be in by calling it be out. It's it's as brazen as you can get. So yeah, they needed to stop that. That needed to to uh, get put in the bin, and uh, and that was the only thing blocking them because nobody could ever prove at any point that the um, the public investment fund was the same as Saudi as a whole. You know what I mean? So you you know it's it is a different thing. It's it's almost the same, but it's different enough to pass the owners and directors test. So if anybody sat there as you know Aston Villa fan, Everton fan, whoever, whatever fan of not Newcastle, and saying, oh well, this is because they need to, they're clearly going to run it as a state. This is a problem you should have with the Premier League and the problem you should have with the owners and directors test because at no point. Did Newcastle ever break it? And the whole thing for the past two years has been the Premier League looking for a loophole that they haven't given themselves with their own rules. So if you don't want these really mega rich oil companies coming into the Premier League, number one, you've missed the boat because that happened. That started happening years ago when Roman Abramovich carted up and was on his way to Spurs and bought Chelsea on the way. Um, and then it's just snowballed into something now that we can we can't stop anymore. Um, they tried to draw the pull the drawbridge up recently with with different rules and and what have you what have you and make it harder for people to buy clubs and you know put the spending caps on things and all that. Um, and it hasn't worked because again the Premier League are uh, not capable of setting out a, a, a rule that can protect them in the future like they want to be protected. In terms of the wealth of Manchester City compared to Newcastle United, we know that Man City, the club you support, Callum, are extremely well backed by uh, you know the UAE-based organisation which owns them. Sheikh Mansour, of course, is the big name that everyone mentions when it comes to City's ownership. When it comes to Newcastle United, this Saudi public investment fund, it, it's worth 10 times that of what allegedly Manchester City's owners are worth. I mean, that's an eye-watering amount of money, a staggering amount of wealth. And understandably, Newcastle are going to be excited about this. But do you think Marley's got a point in terms of, if we're talking about issues here regarding ownership and and finances and stuff like that, you know, it's kind of a, a conversation that should have been had quite a long time ago, don't you think? Yes, I think um, just on the first point of the wealth, I think it's a, it's a hugely eye-catching figure how much they've kind of got in the bank. But I think the the Man City project, as it's always kind of dubbed, is a is a really good example that you have to spend the money 
correctly and you have to spend it in the right way and you've got to have a proper strategy and you've got to kind of invest over the long term because the first few years of, of Man City having that wealth, the club was a bit of a basket case. Um, we were signing, you know, the wrong players. We were signing these kind of old stars and, you know, there was a sort of less than competent directors were kind of coming in and out and it was only sort of a few years in when... Um, you know, the right people came in and there was an actual strategy and, and it's been transformative, not just for the club, but for the, that entire area of Manchester and, and the, the links to the community and all of that has made it much easier to accept where the money has come from. Um, and then I think the... was the second half of that question? Where the money comes from. So, um, yeah, I think it's, as you said at the top of the show, it's not really on football fans to be the ones to take a stand. There's this awful habit of people in the media and you know the holier than now and people get very righteous about where this money comes from to sort of shine the light and say what are Newcastle fans going to do what are Man City fans going to do they're going to walk away from stadiums are they going to you know if 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 they go to the game are they tacitly endorsing beheadings and, and homophobia they're not right absolutely that, I mean it's a great point because you know Mr Jones who's had a season ticket at St James's for 65 years and hasn't missed a game since you know 1952 or whatever it is you know it's not on him yeah. to be you know, the person that turns around and goes, oh, well, I'm not happy about this. You know, he, he loves Newcastle United. It's part of his life. It's ingrained in his life long before the Saudis were ever interested. So, you know, there's always going to be question marks around that sort of thing. A hundred percent. And I think the the, the one point I'd, I'd really like to make on this is it, it applies to city's owners as well. The argument, why, 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 do they, why do these types of regimes and these types of investment funds want to buy Premier League clubs? And the argument is always sports washing, legitimacy, p- good PR for them. And I've never seen an example of that, right? Since... Man City were bought by the royal family of Abu Dhabi. I know much more than I ever did before about the the crimes of that regime and the kind of the the dodgy backstories of all the characters involved and the money. And what we're gonna what's gonna happen now, I think, is that a huge swathe of working class football supporting British public are going to learn about Jamal Khashoggi and uh, the beheadings and the homophobia and the treatment of women and all of this corruption, the war in Yemen. But what they should remember throughout all of that is that. You know, the Saudis and the PIF was already, in inverted commas, legitimate. They own half of Mayfair. They have stakes in public companies up and down this country, and we sell weapons to them. So it's not like it's not like Newcastle are really going against the grain here. The, the kind of the nation, the UK, has welcomed in Saudi money with open arms for the best part of twenty years. And well, football's an easy target, isn't it? Completely, because it's very high profile, and there's a lot of noise and drama, and it's kind of. I often think it's where we kind of act out what are the kind of bigger questions that we have to ask ourselves as a country, but it's ultimately not on Newcastle fans because you can kind of, as a football fan, your club is your identity. Yes, maybe it kind of subscribes to your politics, but it's also your escape from your working life. And it's not something that you necessarily go to because you're thinking too hard about who owns it. And I'm sure all those Newcastle fans that hated Mike Ashley didn't think that Newcastle was Mike Ashley. They're not the same. They they were able to compartmentalise. And in the same way, Newcastle United is not... Saudi Arabia FC they're still two separate things it are unless you think they're not maybe maybe the owners of the clubs maybe they're not that's a question that every fan has to ask themselves but yeah it's not ultimately it's not on St James's Park season ticket holders to to sort out the problems of Saudi money because that that um horse bolted a long time ago <laughs> I think it's a brilliant point that you make about especially your club Manchester City and you as a supporter seeing more in the press and knowing more about the past history of the owners of your club 
which you wouldn't have known before had it not been for their takeover of Manchester City. And I think we're probably likely to see something similar with Newcastle. And it's a great point. Actually, people use the term sports washing. If anything, it brings more attention to to the issues that are, uh, are happening behind closed doors elsewhere. Definitely. Okay, so we've tackled some of the more cultural and political significances of this takeover. What about in terms of the on-field stuff, Marley? Because many gripes that Newcastle fans have with Mike Ashley has been the lack of investment in the playing squad, the willingness just to scrape by in the Premier League season after season to stay up and just stay in the top flight rather than be competitive. In terms of this takeover, does that give Newcastle fans confidence and belief that that isn't going to be the case in the years ahead? Yeah, um, it's you know that's that's the plan, isn't it? You know, be be competitive, not necessarily go out and sign everybody, and you know, let's get Mbappe playing up front with Haaland in black and white, and by twenty twenty three or whatever it is. So it's just making the improvements to the club that have needed to be done for many many years. Um, and having a go and, and being a proper club. Um, you know, the training ground hasn't been touched for about 10 years. It's it's a joke of of a, of a building and a sort of complex, whatever you want to call it. So that needs work. Our youth academy and scouting is shocking. Um, there's no investment being made there. There's um, local players getting, you know, poached by clubs way down south people are getting uh, missed in in that catchment area if you think of newcastle as is an area in terms of clubs you know there's only newcastle in newcastle there's only newcastle in the northeast that are a premier league club um anywhere north of manchester is is potential you know um i grew up in cumbria there was very very few scouts playing uh, watching anything the only scouts that ever came to watch it were from carlisle united with the only professional club around, all Workington Reds, who I went to play for for a little bit when I was a kid. And they're a semi-pro team in the Northern Premier League. So that whole catchment area of, of Cumbria is, is open for grabs. Dean Henderson came through there. Um, Scott Carson came through there and um, Glenn Murray as well. So all that north area is open for, for grabs. And you look at Murray went to, you know, made his name at Brighton. Henderson luckily got picked up by Man United and Carson ended up at Leeds from from the same amateur club as I played for. He was only a couple of years older than me, but he's like a, a case of the potential to be a decent player is there, um, and it's just never been capitalised on. Um, so in terms of building the club from the bottom up, um, the potential's there. It just needs it needs cash, basically. That's what it comes down to. Um, Mike Ashley was never going to see an investment on you know, setting up a scouting network um, and hopefully it'll come to fruition 10 or 12 years later because the club was always up for sale and it was always his end game from probably like 2014 onwards to try and get out of the club and realise that it was a poor investment. Um, he can just about tread water with it, so what's the point in, in investing for a future which he's not going to be around for? Um, so- in terms of patience though, Marley, Callum touched upon it when the wealth came into Manchester City in 2008. It did take two or three years for City to really settle down and become competitive in the way that 
they wanted to and in the way that a lot of fans didn't expect and still can't believe to this day you know you remember the 2011-2012 season Aguero's famous goal they win the title everyone goes ballistic that was only four years into the Sheikh Mansour ownership of Manchester City and obviously those first few years it's going to take some some work isn't it because we know how competitive the Premier League is so in terms of the patience of Newcastle fans they've had to wait 14 years to see the back of Mike Ashley now that they've got the Saudis more than likely coming in is it important for the message to be just hold on because it's not going to happen overnight um that's what the thing that's annoying me is is that that's what you're going to see now from the lazy tabloids. They're going to go with, with oh, Newcastle fans are fuming, they're not going to win the league this year or next year, or they're not signing Mbappe or Lewandowski or, you know, flipping, I don't know, Camavinga or all these like young mint players. Um, but no, I think, I think when you've been through this, like, 14 years or however long of, of actually not trying, I think it's... It's a case of like we all know that the Premier League is like ridiculously competitive, and I don't think you can buy success straight away to go and win the league. I think that that, that requires an insane amount of money. You're talking, you're talking like probably probably seven hundred and fifty to a billion in one season if you were going to go and win it next year, for example. Because Newcastle right now can't build a squad overnight to compete with Man City, Liverpool, Chelsea or um, or even like Leicester or someone. We're, we're nowhere near that. So I don't think anybody is is going to be like, oh, we need to succeed and we need to succeed now because we've got money. It's just, I think everyone's just got their head screwed on a bit. I think this whole, um, this whole sort of thing about Newcastle fans wanting success and demanding success is the thing that has does fans off for so long the the most because there's this for some reason it's tabloid driven it's it's clickbait journalism driven that the Newcastle fans want success they don't want success they just want something to cling to and something to hope for um and something to say you know what we can be competitive this year as in we can we can try and buy the players that Aston Villa are buying rather than scrapping around for Jeff Hendrick on a free um, and you know, taking advantage of some bizarre scouting to get Joel into for forty million quid, like the club's been ran wrong. So now, with it being ran right, I think as long as we see like progression and ambition, you know, that's fine. You know, that that will suffice fans. It's, as long as if Bruce goes and Eddie Howe comes in, that's progression because we're we're, we're cutting out you know some dead wood of the club and we're putting in someone who can hopefully take us forward if that happens and hopefully it will yeah you're not asking for profligacy and to spend 200 300 million on Mbappe and Haaland are you really in in the summer no. transfer window or the January window <laughs> even that's not what you're asking for you just want we're not playing real life FIFA with a with a billionaire's bank, Precis- bank pre- precisely and it will take some time won't it Callum for Newcastle to establish that level of attraction now Marley says and he's right they're the only club in the northeast that's a Premier League team they are a hugely well-supported club in a one-club city, which I think, you know, ha- has a lot to is a lot to be said for that. And also, with Manchester City, you'll know, and it's easy to draw comparisons between the two clubs because of the nature of the two takeovers. But with Manchester City, like you were saying at the start, you were buying the wrong players, and after 
three, four seasons of really kind of being competitive, you're able to attract the likes of Sergio Aguero and Vincent Kompany and David Silva and players that became legends at Manchester City. Is that something that Newcastle fans need to be aware of, that it probably will take a bit of time just for them to become the established force that they probably envision? Yeah, I, I think the first sort of set of players that, that you're going to sign are not going to be Europe's hottest up-and-coming prospects because they will still, you know, they will still be going to Chelsea, City, Barcelona, Liverpool, etc. I think I, we, what kind of happened with us anyway is that you sort of buy a mix of like uh, players with talent where it's not worked out elsewhere. I'm thinking of the likes of Balotelli, you know, people that sort of have kind of uh, either kind of lost their way a little bit, but maybe there's a, an opportunity to like bring them back on the right track. Or you buy players that are kind of towards the, re- the end of their careers as well. We had, you know, Gareth Barry and, and, and that sort of, that sort of year of, of City players. Um, you also sometimes get players that are just kind of in it for the money if there is a lot of money on the table, like, you know, Rubinho. Rubinho was always the one that kind of, that that was the, that came with the announcement, didn't it? But he was he was pretty rubbish outside of about six or seven games, I can remember. Um, and then he just became a huge burden because we're paying him all this money and he was constantly attracting, like, negative attention. Um, and I think, yeah, I think it's it's building blocks, isn't it? There will be a, there will be a sort of first generation of... Uh, Newcastle players that kind of come in that, that that take them so far. Maybe it's a, a cup run. Maybe it's you know top seven or eight finish, and then it, you know it has to build the next year and has to build the next year, and then all the other stuff has to go with it. There has to be the right personnel. You know, I don't know what the training facilities are like. There's got to be a like you know there's got to, well it's, it's kind of like you said. There's got to be a purpose and a plan and a strategy, and then that's something you can sell to players as well as fans. You you know you can then you can start saying to some you know stupidly talented kid in Valencia look come here and this is what we're building and you can be part of it um and not every player will, will want to come they'll want some will want the assurances of going to you know in commas big club that are really well established but equally there'll be a lot of talent that goes yeah for that money let's let's be part of something because that I think they'll have seen the legendary status that the likes of Aguero company Silva all attained when they joined City they weren't a big club and then they were part of making them that there's still going to be question marks over will they stay up this season because they've not had a great start. There's also concerns over the quality of Steve Bruce as the manager. Issues surrounding whether Wilson and Sam Maximan can stay fit because it feels like their safety pretty much hinges on those two. Is there going to be an added air of confidence about this Newcastle United side? Or is there still going to be worries over the fact that, you know, effectively, we're looking at the same team here. There's a change in ownership, but the players and the personnel are still the same. Yeah, I'd I'd expect to kind of, you know, the monkey's off the back now a little bit and there'll be a bit more positivity around the club and people will be looking forward. But at the same time, that's got to translate to results because it's a lot harder to build that, you know, potential title challenging side from the championship next year. Um, I think this year just has to be about get to the end and get the summer with with any, you know, transfers and rebuilding that happens. But yeah, I I think it will be, I think we will see a bounce, a new owner bounce, if that's a thing. I think there will be a bit of positivity and hopefully that can sort of be channeled into some key results that will sort of avoid the drop a little bit but um yeah it's strange everyone's thinking five years ahead but it could be a very different story in five months exactly what's your final thoughts on this then marley before we move on because as callum says everyone's kind of looking ahead to the future and oh could newcastle be a champions league team in the next four or five seasons but at the moment you're 19th in the bottom two in the premier league and on three points with no wins yet this season so what's the immediate future do you think for your team uh you've got to start immediately with the things you can change 
um, and the things you can change at any point is is the manager. Um, as soon as that club statement comes out, I want a, I want an attachment with it saying Steve Bruce has been relieved of his duties as Newcastle United manager. And it's You're gonna frame it. Yeah. I, oh, mate, I'm, <laughs> who, who who do you get instead? Though? You, you, you want Eddie well, Howe, don't you, Marley? Well, you number one, Callum, you get anybody. <laughs> <laughs> and number two, you get you get Eddie Howe right now. Um, you know the the pockets are, are deeper to get somebody else, but on on quicker. You know, on on a quick decision, he's out of work. He's worked with some of this squad before, Wilson, Fraser, um, etc. He's worked with, he's built a club from League Two to all the way up to the Premier League and kept them there for five years. Um, and while doing that, he was never given a massive amount of money to spend. Um, I think Bournemouth stagnated because they they didn't put enough money into their um, into their signings and things like that, and didn't properly. Um, you know, help how with better players, so to speak. They, they sort of signed, signed chancy players, and if we can, if we can attract him, which we definitely can, because there's been there's been rumours of of him being interested for years and almost waiting for that takeover for a little while. That's one of the rumours why he's been out of work for for a, over a year now. Um, but he's he's by far the best available. Do you think the Saudis will be that brutal, though? Do you think they'll come in and yeah. say, thanks very much, Steve Bruce, you're off? Yeah. Or do you think they'll give him a chance? Because, 100%. again, to draw comparisons with City, because it's the easiest thing to do, Mark Hughes was given a bit of time, and then he was binned off, and then Mancini came in, and then that's when things changed for Manchester City. So do you think that the Saudis will give Bruce a bit of time, or is he already shown to them in the background of the last 18 months what he's all about and you think they'll be brutal and just ditch Steve Bruce straight away? Yeah, I think I think the whole point of this takeover is because, you know, the club's not doing well and the club's not doing well um, largely because of the manager. You know, the, the people involved in the club will know um, their fate, I think, um, and the people in the takeover know that the fans, more than anything, want Bruce out because we've had two and a half years of him. He's been backed financially better than any manager previously, probably since, uh, well, definitely since Pardew. Um, maybe even before that, I don't know. Um, but um, yeah, he's 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 had his chance. You can't you can't ask for two and a half years at a club and not produce anything at all. I think you know at one point we won three games in uh, in. Sorry, no games in in twenty one attempts or something like that, and you know his his win record at Newcastle is the worst of his career uh, at any club, and he's he's got the worst record of any Newcastle manager um, since like pre war times, I think. So, you know, he's had his chance. Um, now it's time to uh, to take your P forty five and see where you end up in the championship when somebody hires you next. Okay, well, we'll wait and see what happens. But Mike Ashley is on the brink of selling Newcastle United finally after 14 years to a consortium backed by the Saudi Arabian Public Investment Fund. The faces and the names you need to know about are the two Ruben brothers, who are local businessmen from the northeast, and Amanda Staveley. She will be the face of this takeover. She is likely to be the new chairperson of Newcastle United. And that deal is set to be completed probably by the time you listen to this podcast. You might even have an announcement from official club sources. Exciting times for Newcastle United. We're going to talk about some of the other Premier League clubs next after this break here on Football Social Daily. And we're also going to talk about coronavirus vaccinations. We'll do it after this. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. 
Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back to the podcast. This is Football Social Daily from Sport Social. I'm Niall. I've got Callum Tyler and Marley Anderson with me. And we've done the Newcastle chat and it's time to talk about the rest of the Premier League clubs. But another real socio-political issue, I suppose you could say, and that's to do with coronavirus vaccinations. Now, there's still some hesitancy amongst several top flight players to get vaccinated against COVID-19. I think it's important we say on this podcast that everyone should be free to make a choice. And that's certainly been evident in the players inside the Premier League. Many of them have decided that they don't want to take the coronavirus inoculation uh, for whatever reasons, we don't know. A lot of them will keep that to themselves. They're the only ones really privy to that. But we can take a stab, Callum, at why we think this is. Obviously, coronavirus is still here. It's not going to go away. And we are slowly adapting and learning to live with it. And that includes the Premier League, which has had to evolve as well and put protocols in place to keep everybody safe as they can be. But athletes seemingly don't want to take as much of a chance on vaccinations as the general public. Do you have any thoughts on why that might be? Yeah, I think there's a few things going on here. And and the first thing to say is it's not unique to footballers. This is a problem that the uh, certain American sports, the NFL, the NBA, are also struggling with as well. And I think it comes down to a few factors. The first of which is that athletes generally, and the ones we're talking about are men in their 20s. Um, and as a man in his 20s, you know, you kind of... You, you can become complacent and feel invincible and you sort of feel like certain things won't happen to you. So I think that's number one. They're also, you know, peak fitness um, and they've spent their lives watching very carefully what comes in and out of their body. And I think that makes them probably quite distrustful of of something new. That You know, there's a lot of the people that I have seen, the players I have seen that have made kind of excuses as why they've not done it is, you know, they don't want to, they don't want to do something that then potentially knocks their performance in the next game or whatever. And and to some extent, you can understand that. Um, I, I also think there's, there's an issue, though, with, like, if you live your life where normal rules don't apply and where you're surrounded by people that kind of tell you what you want to hear and agree with everything that you say and you live in a bubble and the media is kind of something not to be trusted and they're always trying to trip you up. And, you know, I, I, think, I think that's a very fertile breeding ground to buy into certain conspiracy theories and also to think that it's kind of this doesn't apply to you um and i think i think you know footballers as well you look at the backgrounds they come from few of them have an education that goes beyond kind of secondary school and i think you add all that together and i think it's kind of it's almost understandable i almost don't kind of blame them as much as i wish they would just get vaccinated i think there's a lot of there's a lot of players who probably don't have anyone sitting them down and speaking to them honestly and saying that you, you need to do this for reasons X, Y, Z. Um, they do live very strange lives from my limited experience with them. <laughs> but certainly Jurgen Klopp, Pep Guardiola, even Steve Bruce has come out has come out and expressed their encouragement really for players to get vaccinated, saying this is a, a good thing for the players to have done. I think um, Wolves are the only club with a 100% vaccination rate amongst their players and staff. I think Liverpool have got a, a 99%, I think is what the words that Jurgen Klopp used. And he was using a good analogy in a recent press conference about drink driving, where he said, you know, the drink driving ban is not there to stop me from driving home when I've had a couple of beers because I feel like I can do so. It's just in case it's to protect the other people that are on the roads that I might be a danger to. And I think that was a nice way of putting it in sort of layman's terms in which many people could understand. But do you think that it boils down to the fact, Marley, that athletes maybe are fearful of a change in their bodies because, as Callum rightly points out, 
Elite athletes are always aware of what they're fueling themselves with, and if you put what is a relatively unknown substance inside your body, there's no telling of the reaction. Now, a lot of the time, the chances are things will be safe, and a lot of athletes have had this done with no repercussions or side effects, but do you think it's that nagging doubt which maybe has put some people off? Yeah, probably. I think it's... I think if this vaccine and, and this pandemic had come around 10 years ago, I think everyone would be vaccinated by now. Um, I think there's a there's a horrible culture these days in, in the UK and probably around the world. I don't know because obviously we're on a UK base, but I think there's there's this culture now of, of second guessing absolutely everything. Um, and I hate it, to be honest. I, I hate that, you know, you see these... Well, social media is probably the breeding ground for it as, as it is for many things, but... You know, you see this the vaccine come out and somebody says, yeah, but what's in it? And it's like, well, you know, this is what's in it. And then they, they pick one thing and they say, what? It's, it's you know, it's got horse's blood in it or something like that. And it's like, well, that sort of like doubt sort of spreads so quickly um, that it puts people off and it, it gets people in, in, into their heads. But, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago um, and and longer, you know, you you had experts and you listen to experts and, it, and experts say you know this is a vaccine we've come up with this vaccine it's it's designed to stop the spread and stop people dying from this illness um here it is you know let's let's have it it's very important and you know when the when the polio vaccine and the mmr vaccine came out um you know however many years ago decades ago you know, I don't think there was as much backlash to it now, but now everyone's so woke and so, you know, um, like, uh, what's the word, sort of doubtful of it. And, you know, they, 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 they come up with their own fears in the head and they read something that some ball bags put on Facebook that, you know, somebody, somebody had it and then they grew a third leg and died. And it's like, oh my God, that might happen to me. And then as well, another thing I think is footballers are not generally the cleverest people in the room, are they? They're very easily led, I think. You, you can see what people have have, um, have done in the past in, in terms of decisions and, you know, half of them just piss all the money away and end up with nothing when they've when their career's done. And I think, like, sometimes it's it's easier to spread fear amongst a, a, a bit of a thicker population i think <laughs> like and you know callum robinson yesterday you know he's had covid twice and he's, he still won't get it like, he still won't get this vaccine even though it'll help him like that is that is just you know when people are doing that it's just you're beating your head against the wall you're not going to win that battle because he's too thick and he doesn't care so you know yeah you're, you're right we do live in an age of misinformation you're absolutely right in terms of the access to news and information and uh, you know education it's certainly much greater than it was even when we were younger and i should make it clear that i'm double vaccinated and i believe in the vaccine i feel that the, the vaccine is is the best way to protect against covid19 but some of the players even, that even spoke- that sentence you've just said like i believe in the vaccine like yeah. it's it's proven clinically proven by you know guys mm. who've got who've got you know um i agree but we need to respect longer than everything but we need to respect personal choices i think and i think that's a luxury we have in this country that not a lot of countries do have around the world and certainly something we shouldn't take for granted the fact that we've got the decision to make whether we want to have a vaccine or not because effectively it is to do with medicine and then there's questions around science and medicine which are, are far from football but in terms of football 
some of the players that are on England duty were being spoken to about the idea of being vaccinated. Um, Tamori, Tammy Abraham and Jesse Lingard, the three players, asked about how they felt about having a vaccine. And all three of them, without disclosing their personal choices, did stress that it was a personal choice. Exactly that. Um, I think this is interesting what Fikayo Tamori had to say, Callum. He said... We're public figures in the public eye, so I definitely see why people are wondering or asking if we're going to take the vaccine. Because some people might say, if they're not going to take it, then I'm not going to take it. I don't think it's my place to put it out there if I've done this or done that to influence people. It's up to people to make their own choices if they want to do it or not. That's what Fikayo Tamori had to say. I think he put that quite eloquently, to be fair to him. But certainly in terms of these players being figures in the public eye and role models to younger people. I don't think that could be underestimated. Yeah, I think he's actually articulated the the kind of conundrum that footballers these days now face. And I think whilst some footballers are very happy in that mould and are very happy to sort of lead by example, you think of the likes of Marcus Rashford or Raheem Sterling and the work that certain players do. I think it's natural that that doesn't come to everyone in the same way. And I think he's probably articulating something that a lot of players feel, which is, oh, I don't really know. I'm a bit confused. I'm a bit kind of nervous about the vaccine. But I'm also aware that anything I say is kind of taken as, you know, me preaching on the subject one way or the other. Um, and it's it's kind of not a very enviable position. And this is this feeds into the thing that we were saying about the, the whole Saudi takeover. You know, like football is the lens, is like a microcosm of like bigger issues in society. Ultimately, if, you, if you're trying to figure out whether you should get the vaccine, it shouldn't come down to whether um, Jesse Lingard does it or not, right? But at the same time, we all accept that he could set an example for a generation of young people that look up, up to him. But ultimately, if people are looking to footballers for that advice, then something about the official messaging has failed. <laughs> like if, if people are waiting to figure out whether, whether footballers are doing it, that, that'll impact whether they do it. So yeah, I don't envy footballers. I think he's, he's done a good job there in, in kind of summing up the, the problematic situation. Um... And yeah, it's it's a tough one. You you hope that like club staff, physios, and the experts that are close to them and have their ear and have their trust are sort of saying the right things. Um, but footballers usually have gotten to where they are by kind of you know not really listening to anyone. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a tough one. I think I think we should actually try and just move the conversation as a country about vaccinations away from sports people because they're a kind of special case. Yeah, some of the stuff we get into in the international break, eh? You you couldn't you couldn't anything have to avoid any... talking about in that game. <laughs> it, it, exactly. Um, <laughs> I mean, there are some reports suggesting that players that aren't immunised may result in being refused travel to certain countries on international duty or even for tournaments. Um, there were some reports claiming that Qatar as a nation may not let players in for the World Cup in 2022 if they're not fully vaccinated. I'm not sure how true that story is. That's certainly just a report at the moment, but that will cause a few problems. But this is what caught my eye the most, Marley. Apparently, the Premier League are discussing whether to reward clubs who have had high vaccination rates amongst their players and staff. How would you go about that? For instance, Wolves, as I say, 100% vaccinated fully by the, uh, the staff and players, 100% fully vaccinated. How do you reward Wolverhampton Wanderers for that? Is it a financial reward? Is it, we're going to buy you all pizza? Here's a case of Cadbury <laughs> chocolate bars. I mean, how do you reward uh, a team for that? Maybe some fine Portuguese wine or something with uh, with all the, all the <laughs> Portuguese players. But no, I, I can't see that. I've, obviously, I've heard this report. I can't see it coming to fruition. Um, I can't see because you know how uh, 
as you say, how do you reward someone? You can't give them extra points. You can't, you know, what what can you do? You can't give them a buy in a cup game. It's you know because that defeats the point of competition. You can't give them points. You can't give them money. If you even if you give them extra cash, yeah, well, it's what's kind the point? of suspicious, yeah, isn't it? Well, give them hundred yeah. grand. All right, that's well, that's not going to buy anyone, is it? You know, so it's it's an unwinnable situation for me. I think what you can do is more more easily and more reasonably is be tougher on restrictions for more unvaccinated um, squads. For example, like if I don't know Norwich had. 30% of their players vaccinated and 70% not and then had an outbreak of coronavirus in the week you know make them play with their with their 30% of vaccinated players at the weekend or something like that like you know when we seen was it well it's probably it was last season a bit when somebody would have an outbreak um in the week and then they they would all be sort of isolating so they couldn't play at the weekend you could be harsher on those teams um, that are that have more unvaccinated players with that respect, if that makes sense. Like, for example, you know, Newcastle have, you know, uh, Hendrick and Fraser and Joe Linton all unvaccinated and then Joe Linton gets coronavirus and spreads it around the, the, the league. The Premier League could then say, well, you're still playing at the weekend. I don't care if eight of you have caught it, it's your own fault. Because, you know, three unvaccinated players have then gone and spread it throughout the your squad. So it's your problem. So it can work the other way, but I don't think it can. I don't think, think there's any real obvious reward for um, a fully vaccinated squad. It's kind of um, it's kind of got to be done the other way. Final thoughts on this, Callum, because I was surprised when I read that line in the reports as well, that Premier League are discussing whether to reward clubs who have got high vaccination rates. I mean, like I say, I mean, what does that reward come in the form of? Is it anything tangible or will it just be something superficial? I wonder if it's got to be, rather than the league rewarding the clubs, I wonder if the clubs could do more within sort of players deals maybe go, it's probably going forward now isn't it really but like when you think of when you think of like the clauses that are in like Neymar's deals that Neymar makes half a million um half a million euros every year just on the basis that he won't say anything like controversial about a set amount of subjects and that he makes another million quid a year if he if he applauds the fans at, at the end of the game like they they have kind of footballers are very used to being incentivized to do every little tiny thing under the sun and i wonder you say you know money how much of a difference can it make i don't know i reckon that some most of them have got a price i reckon most of them would suspend their doubts for 100 grand on top of everything else a couple hundred grand um i i do also though agree with marley saying i think it's got to be stick rather than carrot and i think what people often miss get wrong about your freedom of choice which obviously we all agree you're absolutely free in this country to make your own decisions freedom of choice is not freedom from consequences and like if if you make that choice as long as you're aware of what the consequences are you kind of have to accept them and if the consequences are as a footballer it it really restricts your travel it restricts going to the national team it kind of restricts when and where you can play um you can't really have an argument about that at the end of the day you can still make the choice but you still have to deal with the consequences i think well, coronavirus vaccinations in Premier League clubs, not something I, be th- I thought we'd be talking about for too much longer on Football Social Daily, but it certainly feels like 
at least with the statistics that are coming out, as of last week, allegedly only seven Premier League clubs were more than 50% fully immunised. So it might be something we do discuss in the future, but that's where we stand for now. And that's it for the end of Football Social Daily. It's been a heavy show, but we're nearly towards the end of the week. So Marley's already going to crack open some cans if he hasn't already this morning, I imagine, Marley, after the Newcastle news. Hashtag cans is trending on uh, on Newcastle's Twitter and for a very good reason. <laughs> but which cans, though? That's the point. Well, they've all expired. We all thought we were going to have them two years ago. We're all drinking out-of-date beers now. What do you think, Callum? What what cans would you be going for today? If you you know, I think you're a craft ale man, aren't you? Uh, no, do you know what? I was at uni and I spent... Surely it's book fast I spent all my student loan on craft beer. And now, now I literally just like lager. I've gone all the way back. I literally just like cold, cold lager. With, <laughs> back, to the, with, uh, back to the start. Would uh, Newcastle Brown not come in cans? No, it's only bottles that, isn't it? I don't know. I think it's a myth that... I don't think Marley's ever had a Newcastle Brown Ale, have you? You can't even get it here, really. It's kind of... I've never seen it anywhere. You couldn't move for it in my grand's house growing up. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I swear to God. <laughs> well, maybe Marley's grand can provide the uh, the cans for this afternoon for Newcastle fans. Thanks, Marley. Thank you, Callum. That's it for today's Thank episode you. of Football Social Daily. Don't forget, we'll be back tomorrow. And also this weekend, we'll have a brand new episode of our new show on Sports Social, The Dugout, featuring former Premier League players. I'll be joined by ex-West Ham and Wolverhampton Wanderers man Matt Jarvis. I'm sure the Newcastle takeover will be on the agenda. It'll be interesting to get a player's point of view on that one. So make sure you hit subscribe and that way you won't miss that episode with myself and Matt. But that's it for today and we'll catch you tomorrow on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.